All right, we'll pray and then we'll look at Philippians chapter 2. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, another day to move about in your creation. As the days become shorter, uh, Father, the darkness seems to overwhelm in so many ways. Uh, I pray that we would uh, let our light shine. Not just here in the building, but in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, or wherever we interact with others. Father, I pray that our attitude would be that that would draw people to you. Father, we, we have so many as we're caring for our loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's so many who are hurting, who are recovering from surgery, who are grieving the loss of a loved one, who are just struggling through the difficult days with this virus. Father, I pray that you'll just meet our needs and you'll remind us of who you are. And Father, we would remember that we have hope and we have peace and we have an opportunity through your son Jesus. So Father, I pray you just show us how to reach and be an encouragement to others. And Father, as we read your word, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and show us how to live. Father, guide us through these dark, cold winter days as we navigate these holidays. And Father, seek to spread your love to the world. I pray that you'll just show us how to do that and do it with joy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to, begin, we're going to go through verse 12 through 18 tonight. We saw Christ's example at the beginning of chapter 2 in that great hymn that we sing often or that we are very familiar with as we read. It's a great one to memorize, to commit to memory. But as we move on from that, Paul gets real practical in talking about discipleship, Christian discipleship. And in this passage, verses 12 through 18, he kind of shares... A truth, and I've kind of titled this session, Are You Shining Bright? How many of you have a flashlight that doesn't shine very bright? I've got one in my house. It's got a magnet on it, and it's, it sticks on the fridge. And it, um, it's just real handy. It's got a really bright light, and it's got a light on the side that'll flash and beam and do all these neat features. And it's the coolest thing. But it does not work. Like it, I mean, I'm serious. It's the best light if you can get the batteries to connect. You know what I'm saying? But I like I think. Well, the batteries have died. It's been a few months, and I'll put new batteries in it, and the same thing. It won't work at all, or it'll flicker, or it'll be dim. And that's what I think about when I read this section, and it just. Paul just kind of leaves me with this question, are you shining bright? So think about that question as we read uh, verses 12 through 18 in chapter 2. In this, in this passage, Paul gives a commendation, and then a command, and then a comfort. So it's, it's kind of interesting how he leads us into that, and it's a, it's a good a reminder for leaders that as we uh, give instruction to others, commendations are good. 
and comforts are also good to nudge people along the way. So let's look at verse 12. Uh, Therefore, dear friends, just as, you, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This verse here causes people concern. Which, which phrase do you think causes trouble in people's minds? The last phrase, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We'll get there in just a second, but let's back up and look at the um, commendation by Paul. At first he begins with the word, therefore. So we have to understand and to see what that word is, there, for. And he's, he's referencing back to this Christ hymn that we just looked at at the beginning of chapter 2. So the example that Christ has provided us we should, therefore, act a certain way. And then he calls uh, the believers in Philippi dear friends, just as they have, he, they have obeyed, so now, not only in his presence, but in his absence. Paul here is commending the believers for following Jesus. He's telling them, when I was with you, you were following Jesus. And now when I'm away, you continue to do that, so keep going. Paul here gives us a good pattern. Commendation, then a command. But then we get to the section that, that causes us concern, where he says, okay guys, you are doing a good job. Keep doing it. And here's what you need to do. Work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. Now if that weren't enough, he adds two words that scare us to death, with fear and trembling. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's look at these words. Closely Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice here in this phrase that Paul says the words, work out. That's significant. And that should not scare us. Now, if he would have said, work for, then we have reason to be concerned. Because the truth is, we interpret this phrase as... We have to do something to achieve salvation. That's the way we read it often. But in truth, that's not what he's saying. He says, work out your salvation. The reality of Scripture and the Gospel, as we read from Paul and uh, throughout all the Gospel writers, is that God has already worked for our salvation. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus has done all the work for us. And that salvation is available to us by grace, right? If we just trust in Him, if we have faith in Him and believe in Him, if we proclaim Him, we will receive salvation. Our responsibility is to live for Jesus. So as a follower of Jesus, along the way of discipleship, we are called to follow after Him. We are to take on this new identity and follow Jesus. And here's what Paul's talking about. Work out your own salvation. You have achieved salvation, so you have to work it out. It's kind of like you have the potential to have a nice physique, right? We all have that potential to have a, a you know, what's the good body fat ratio? I don't know what that is. 2%, 0%, I don't know. We all have that potential to have the muscle mass and the great physique. But it takes 
work to do it, doesn't it? It's the same thing with Christian, with our Christian life, with spiritual development. It's about work. The process of sanctification is a journey. At one step at a time, we draw closer to the Savior. One step at a time as we follow Jesus' example that we see in um, the beginning of chapter 2, we become more like Him. So what is our goal as Christians? It's progress, right? We want to we be closer to Jesus today than we were yesterday. We want to be closer to Jesus this week than we were last week. It's all about progress. And that progress is not always easy. It's not always perfect. But the goal is progress. I'll give you an example. I, I, I've, I fade in and out of running just because I get frustrated with it. But I'm... I'm on this little run training program, and I was behind. You know, you, get, you take days off and you get behind a little bit. So I was trying to catch up this week. So I ran Monday, and then I turned around and ran yesterday. And my wife was walking along the same path that I was running. And when we got home, she beat me to the house because I took a longer path. She said, what took you so long? And I said, you, I, I didn't actually finish my program. I had a problem. I thought I was going to die. You, ever, you know you're there, right? You have this pain in your side, and you think, do I have an organ that's rupturing, or am I just out of shape? You know? And it's just, it takes hard work, and it's not easy. It's not perfect, but the goal is progress. So I had to go home thinking, you know what? This was better than me not doing anything. And I was okay with not completing the task. And that's the same thing with our spiritual life. The goal is progress. It, but it takes work. So Paul here is um, giving them a con commendation and then a command and imploring them to follow after Jesus. So, one good question to ask along the way does, is, does your life look like chapter 2, verses 6 through 8? where we see Jesus emptying himself, serving us, humbling himself to the point of death. Are we following after Jesus in that manner? So why does Paul include the words fear and trembling? What Paul's trying to convey here is we should live our lives in awe of God, understanding who God is, how powerful he is, how mighty he is. On Sunday, we're going to look at a scripture near the end of Isaiah where a picture is painting through the words of Isaiah that the world is full of injustice and sin, but God comes and it saves, but also holds people accountable. And we're going to learn Sunday how he does that. And we think about how conquering armies and enemies come and defeat peoples and groups and lands. You know, it comes through swords and guns and bombs. We're going to learn how God does that this weekend. But it should give us an opportunity to learn to live in awe of God. Fear and trembling is not a bad thing. We're called to live in humility before God and in submission to His will. In verse 12. So let's go on to verse 13. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. This is a scripture that our children memorized a year or two ago during VBS. It's a great verse. 
It's a verse that came to my mind as I was talking to Sue this week, and she was struggling. Uh, just trying to remind her that, you know what, I know life is difficult, but remember that it is God that is working in you. You know, it should give us comfort to know that we are not left to do the work in the world alone. God has not left you alone in this world, and I know it's hard today because we're living in isolation. And we can't do the things that we want to do, but you're not alone. It is God who is working in us. And we must remember that it is not for our will, though, but it's for His. You see the words of Paul. It is God who is working in us to will and to work. But there's a reason behind that. For His good purpose. For His good purpose. I need to turn my Wi-Fi off. Somebody's calling me. But it is God who is working with us. And His power is working through us if we will just allow Him to do that. So now we're going to look as we transition into verse 14 at the attitude with which the disciple of Jesus should obey Christ and pursue after Him. So we see Paul is giving this commendation. Hey, you're following Jesus. You're doing a great job. You're obedient. So now keep working. Keep pursuing Christ. Remember that God's working in you. And then he drops the bomb in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Everything that we do in our life, we should do it without complaining. That's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem that we have today. Not just in our own lives, but in the church. We all understand that life in general is not easy. It's extremely difficult to navigate. In a lot of ways, just staying alive from day to day at times is difficult. Keeping your sanity from day to day is hard. Not punching other people, the knuckleheads that live and move around you is difficult. And I, I would love to share some stories, but I'm a, I have to remember that this is being recorded, and I can't I have to be careful what I say. I don't want to call anybody out. But just living life is hard. So you add in the element of following Jesus, and it makes it that much harder. Christian discipleship is not easy. The discipleship pathway is not an easy one to follow. And we see in Scripture that it is an extremely narrow road. This process takes perseverance and at times long suffering. The temptation to complain is ever present. Anyone complain today? I have. I do it all the time. It's so easy to slide into gripe sessions, isn't it? The temptation to complain is ever present. We're reminded in verse 14 to do everything without grumbling and arguing. Not just personally, but also corporately. And we think about this, and we were just talking about the mask issue and how it's tearing churches apart. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. You know, the reality is, is when we interact with other people... Like everyone sins, right? And so should it surprise us when other people let us down? When people offend us, when people make mistakes, you know, when we, when we 
another car runs into us, we have an accident on the road, or somebody cuts in front of us in line. Uh, I was at Sam's the other day, and I was, you know, that long line to get out where they have to check your receipt. Well, there were like four lines coming together at once, and there was this one man that cut in front of this one lady, and this man over here didn't like it, so he was going to interject, and he tried to start a fight right there at the receipt thing. And I'm like, what is going on here? But when you get people in a room, or let's just say on earth, there's going to be problems. And I think we all have to just realize that at some point in our life, people are going to let you down. Like if we wake up and just understand that. Like I'm going to put my pants on today. That's a pretty good thing to do. Especially if you're going to go in public. Now if you're going to work from home, you can have that discussion. But if you're going to go in public, put your pants on. That's a good tip. Well, here's tip number two. If you go in public, people are going to let you down. So accept it. The question is, not if people are going to let you down, but what are you going to do when they let you down? The question is not if you will be tempted to complain or argue. The question is, when that happens, how are you going to respond? The real question we must prepare to answer is how you can maintain a joyful attitude in the face of difficulty. And here's the solution. Let's do some gymnastics, okay? If we must keep, if we're going to thrive in this environment where people let you down, people offend you, and you are tempted to complain or argue, Here's what we need to do. Keep our eyes on verses 6 through 11. Jesus humbling himself, emptying himself, and dying on the cross. We focus on that passage. And if we focus on chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So you set everything aside and focus on Jesus. Then you won't disobey verse 14 of chapter 2. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus and what Jesus has done and following after his example, then you won't have a problem with this verse, verse 14. We've just got to get it out of our minds. The expectation for people to never disappoint you because it's going to happen. Change your mindset to what are you going to do when people let you down? How are you going to respond? Look at verse 15. So that you may be blameless and pure. So here he says, do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may be blameless and pure because people are looking at you. People are watching you. They know you're a follower of Jesus so they want to see what's going to happen. It's like you poke a bear to see what it's going to do. My son does that with me sometimes. He knows what drives me nuts. And he does it anyway, just to see how I'm going to respond. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. We live in a world that's messed up, right? But we are following Jesus. So in this dark, 
cold world, what are we supposed to look like? He says it at the end of verse 15. You will shine like stars in the world. You will be a flashlight that has batteries that work. Verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Realistically, if we grumble and we argue, the end result is it's going to damage our witness. Because as a Christian, we're not living for us anymore. We're living for Jesus. And as a representative of Christ, as Corinthians tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're his ambassador. So if we complain and grumble when bad things happen, it's going to damage our witness. It's going to damage the gospel in the world around us. So you want to shine as a Christian? Do you want to make a difference? Resist temptation to grumble. Resist the temptation to complain. Otherwise, you will lose your effectiveness. You want to make an impact on your friends and family members, your coworkers. Resolve in your heart today not to complain, but to shine like a star in the world, to be a light. Hold firm to the message, the Word of God. Defend and proclaim it, and let the Word dwell in your heart. As Colossians chapter 3 tells us, to dwell in us richly. And then we will make an impact. And Paul is saying, because you're doing this, I'm going to boast in the day of Christ that I didn't do what I'm doing in vain. Everything I'm doing for you to share the gospel and to draw you along this process of discipleship, it's not in vain because you are shining. Verse 17, but even... If I am poured out as a drink offering on the, sacri on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. That's the key. And it pulls us back to verses 6 through 8 in chapter 2. I mean, that's where it is. And we can't get away from it. So the question is tonight, and really where I wanted to sit, because could, we could have powered through and did another section. But when the opportunity to complain or grumble rises up in your life, how are you going to respond? Is your light going to shine? Or are your batteries going to work? Remember, this process of sanctification is a journey, and it takes work. It's just like physical exercise. It takes effort. So let's lean into this commendation by Paul to obey the Word of God, to do the work of drawing close to Jesus and following after Him, And resolve in our hearts not to complain, but instead to let our light shine and the Word of God to be held high in the world around us because the world desperately needs to hear it today. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the day you've given us and the chance that we have to come in and study your Word. Father, I pray that you will continue to guide us. 
as, as so many things come against us, so many struggles, difficulties. Father, I pray that we would resolve in our heart now not to grumble or complain, not to throw a pity party, but Father, to resolve right now to be an agent of change, to be an encouragement to others, to be a light shining in the darkness. So Father, as we go out into the darkness now, give us that opportunity to let our light shine. In your son's name we pray. Amen.